Hi, everybody. Welcome to Bible study. It's good to see you all tonight and your smiling faces, except Emma, who's not smiling. But thank you for being here nonetheless. <laughs> well, you are smiling. You just were looking down. I, I couldn't tell. Well, good to see everybody. Glad you're here. Don, how are you feeling tonight? Very good. Ready to go. All right. Wow. Well. I guess that's my cue to get started then, right? Please. All right. All right. Well, then, let's begin our time in prayer, and we'll ask God's blessing on our time together. Father, thanks for uh, just your presence here, and we pray for your Holy Spirit to uh, move tonight. We ask that we would be sensitive to him, open to him, and ready to respond to him. And we pray that he would inspire, that he would encourage. We pray, God, for uh, real just mercy and forgiveness and grace to be ministered tonight. And I just ask you, God, that we would receive revelation and greater understanding. I ask God that you would, by your Holy Spirit, really uh, just shake some things in us and begin to shake some ideas and maybe some ways that we're seeing things. I just ask you, God, that we would learn more about you. Uh, we get closer to you, we would get closer to one another. We give you thanks, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 If you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to 1 John chapter 2. If you need a Bible, they're located on the table over here or over there, and you can feel free to help yourself to that. 1 John chapter 2. While you're turning there, I uh, just remind you about a feature that is available uh, for interactive feature for our Bible study, and that is uh, SpeakPipe, www.speakpipe.com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. Uh, you can go there, and on that website, there'll be a button, and you toggle that button, and it operates sort of like a voicemail, and you can leave us a question, you can leave us a comment, you can leave us a message that you were greatly encouraged you can do lots of things with that. So we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we'd love to interact with you. So if you'd like to do that, go to www.speakpipe.com slash Monday Night Bible Study and leave us a message. First John chapter 2. I need a volunteer to read verse 27. Okay, that seems extraordinarily complicated for a simple message. Can I break that down for you? Here's what that says. The Holy Spirit lives in you. The Holy Spirit teaches you. The Holy Spirit speaks truth. And the Holy Spirit instructs you to be joined to Christ. How's that? Is that easier to understand? Why is it complicated? Here, I'll try that again. The Holy Spirit lives in you. The Holy Spirit teaches you. The Holy Spirit speaks truth. The Holy Spirit instructs you to be joined to Christ. And uh, that was all in there somewhere. But uh, we're going to go with that. And uh, there are other parts of the verse, that, the verse that I'd like to highlight. But those are the main ideas. And some of those things, again, as I was saying last week, I mean, there's things that we read and we study that you can look at that and say, well, that's really obvious. And, and 
The point isn't if it's obvious or not. The point is, what are you doing about it? And so I want to encourage you with that tonight, to do something about it, to do something with it. And so as we're reading through this verse and we're looking at some of the things that maybe God's highlighting, the Holy Spirit's highlighting to you, I just want to encourage you to do something with it and do something about it and, and to see what God may lead you into. And so it starts off, that it talks about you've received an anointing. And it's kind of an interesting verse there. Now, some of your Bibles would say you've received an anointing. The other Bibles might say you've received the anointing. The appropriate translation of that, uh, the literal translation of that, is you have received his anointing. Talking about Jesus's. And I don't know if any of your Bibles do. Any of your Bibles say that? No? Okay. Well, all right. Yeah, I guess you have to take my word for it then. Because uh, the, the word that's used there in the original language is his. And so... You've received his anointing or you've received Jesus' anointing, which kind of makes sense because we believe that. If you ever listen to the foundational teachings, I talk about that in the foundational teachings about what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, what it means to receive of the anointing that Jesus was anointed with. And we use all kinds of verses for that. Uh, I can probably go through it right now real quick. But the whole idea is this, is that Jesus was anointed when he was on the earth, Acts 10.38, says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. And so he was anointed. He went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. And so that anointing was on him. It was the Father's anointing. And so he operated in that. He did signs, wonders, miracles. He lived a holy life. He lived obedient to the Father, the will of the Father in his life. He did what he was supposed to do. He was effective. He raised the dead. He did whatever he was going to do. But the way that he did all of those things was through that anointing. That was the explanation we have in Acts chapter 10. And so by and through that anointing, he did all those marvelous things. And then he says to his disciples toward the end of his ministry, he says, you've seen the things I've done, you'll do even greater. So the, then, And then he also mentioned that he would be sending an anointing on his church after he ascended. So we had these clues that something was going to happen. So sure enough, something happened. Jesus died. He, was, he gave his life willingly that we would have life. And so he died and he rose again. And, and then he, he appeared for a number of days on, on the earth. And then uh, he was seen by over 500 people. And then he ascended up into heaven. So after that, the disciples were all together in, an, in a room, and the day of Pentecost came, and then, bam, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, tongues of fire appeared over them, and they went out, and they were able to communicate with people without understanding or pr any prior understanding of the languages that they spoke. They were able to speak in other languages, and people could understand them. And so understanding all of those events together, we understand that the, the idea, the, the person who baptizes in the Holy Spirit, according to the scriptures, is Jesus. And the whole idea behind it was, is that he was anointed, he did all these great things. And then he said, okay, well, you wait in Jerusalem, disciples, and you'll be endued with power on high. And then you can go out and do the things I was doing. And so, and so they waited, and he poured out the Holy Spirit on them. He anointed them with his anointing. He's the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And so then, after they were anointed, they received the Holy Spirit, they were able to go out and do the stuff that Jesus did. And that's what you read about in the book of Acts, that they, 
went out and they healed people and they went out and miracles were done and they went out and there were all these signs and wonders that took place. So the, the idea of us being anointed with whose anointing? His anointing. That makes sense. It makes sense that we, it's not any a different anointing, it's his anointing. And so he's an example. Well, how is he an example? Well, we're expected to do the things he did. That makes sense. Why? Because we're anointed with his anointing. Well, how can we have an expectation to do what Jesus did? Because we're anointed with his anointing. Well, how did he do the things he did? By the anointing that he had. You following me? All right. So as obvious as that may seem or not obvious as that may seem, depending on your particular theology and the way that you want to see things, it's obvious to most of us that that's what had happened and that's what was taking place. And so this verse is reminding us of that, that we've been anointed with his anointing. So I look at 2 Corinthians one twenty one. Hey, what are you opening up over there? <laughs> Perfect. Carry on. Second <laughs> Corinthians one twenty one. All right, so who anoints us? Yeah, there it is. So, the Holy Spirit lives in us. He continually, he continues to live in us. So it's not a one-time event. The idea behind the verse and this understanding of 1 John is that he continues, and he's going to continue to live in us. So the anointing is something that lasts, is something that is continual. And so part of what he does in our life is that he teaches us. And, and he, he is a, a great teacher. And so then it's said in this verse, and it's said in a couple other places in the scripture, it talks about our need. And it says this, that we need no one else to teach us. Which I think is kind of an interesting word because it's, in, in every commentary I read, they want to make sure that we all understand, well, that's not an absolute statement. Well, it is an absolute statement. It's an absolute statement in the sense that they uses the word need. Now, need is the key word here. Because what they want to point out is they say, well, Paul, or, or excuse me, John is writing to the church here and he's teaching the church through his writing. So what we're reading about and what we're understanding about the Holy Spirit is being taught to us by John, and that disproves the statement. Well, I don't think that's quite correct. I think that there's an advantage to being taught, just like there's an advantage to being taught about anything. In other words, if I, you know, I may be able to go out and figure out how to do something, but if I know somebody that knows how to do it and they can explain it to me or walk it through one time with me, I'm going to have a distinct advantage over not having that or, or not being able to go through that with somebody. Well, I think the same is true. God can teach us anything and everything. That the Holy Spirit, the anointing that's in us, can teach us all things. You know, I think about when the believers in China that, that were given just portions of Gospels and portions of Scriptures and, 
but at the time, and this was years and years ago. And yet somehow, some way, that these little churches that were started in homes or wherever they were started were able to, to not only just survive, but they were able to flourish with only a partial Bible or only a piece of a gospel. And it's kind of interesting to me that yeah, that, that that was enough. That there was the Holy Spirit, there was a piece of the gospel, and that was enough. And you think about all these early churches, though, in the, in the Bible, in the book of Acts, they didn't have Bibles like we do. All these letters were still being written. And not every church that is described in the New Testament received those letters. I mean, this thing wasn't put together for 300 years. So, so the Holy Spirit is enough. That there's a revelation in the Holy Spirit. Now, do I think that we have somewhat of an advantage having a, a scriptures and a Bible put together for us? Well, sure. I'm not going to throw it out and say, well, I don't need this. Because I got the Holy Spirit. Well, that may be true in and of itself, but I may want that. And I may consider that to be a distinct advantage in my growth in Christ. And so I'm going to take it. Need is the key word here. And what need speaks to me is it speaks to regardless of our circumstance, regardless of what we have in our hand at the time, regardless of what our resources are, the Holy Spirit is enough. That's what that speaks to me as. Now, I may like having air conditioning. All right? I may like living in a house. I may like a lot of things. The word need is a really strong word, though. So I, I just want to say that because there's a couple places in the Scripture where this is spoken. And, and it's, it's full agreement. Yes, you're right. You're right. We need no one else. The revelation is there. Understanding is there. God can, can bring about a deeper place, a deeper understanding, a deeper moment for us. And, and we don't need anyone else. But... Isn't it quite an advantage to have that in some ways? If we didn't, would we survive? Sure. If we didn't, could we even thrive with the anointing of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. But we have an advantage in that we're able to hear people that have a lot more experience than us. We're able to read what people have written throughout the centuries and understand what's been said and what's been done in the past. And let's not take that for granted. Because not every, not, not every era of the church had that. Not every moment in the church history did they have those kind of things. And yet somehow the church survived because they were anointed. Because the Holy Spirit was, was, was making it real. I mean, you think about even before there was internet access. Before there was the internet. Remember that, Don? Vaguely, right? As we get older, our memories go, but it was. It did happen like that. And, and I can even remember then, it's like, well, how do you prepare a sermon? How, how do you put together a sermon for the Internet? You, you got you to have books, right? If you have books, but not everybody has books. Like, we, not everyone I knew had commentaries. Not everyone I knew had, had dictionaries, Bible dictionaries. Not everyone I knew had stuff that you would need in order to put it together. I mean, we were students at a, at a state university 
And they didn't exactly have a big Bible library in there. Just didn't. And so we were putting together teachings all the time. But we didn't have commentaries, really. We didn't have any kind of Bible dictionary. But somehow we were able to put together, I don't know they were any good, but we were able to put together teachings where people were challenged and where people's lives were changed over time. I mean, from a little campus ministry, we were able to put like over 20 people into full-time ministry without really having any commentaries or Bible dictionaries for the teaching. Imagine that. Crazy, right? Well, not really. It's just that I think sometimes we forget. We have an anointing. It's good to remember. It's good to remember that. You know, I've been in places without a uh, you know, without internet access where I've had to write sermons and speak them and teach them and stuff. Yeah, it just happens. And so we, we do that. So let's start looking up some verses here. Jeremiah 31, 34. Jeremiah 31, 34. I need somebody else to look up Matthew 13, 11. Matthew 13, 11. And I need somebody else. John 14, 26. And after we get through those three, I got two more. Yeah, Jeremiah 31, 34. Anybody? All right, so there's something afoot there by the Holy Spirit. You see that? In Jeremiah, something's happening. Something's going on. It is afoot. Matthew 13, 11. Okay, so we, so we might get some revelation. Now, that was, uh, that was physically happening. Jesus speaking to his disciples and saying, I'm giving you some revelation. I'm not giving everybody else. You know that happens? That still happens. Sometimes people have revelation that other people don't have. That's why you write a book and you sell it and make lots of money. <laughs> I mean, uh, no. But sometimes, <laughs> sometimes God will, will speak to somebody and give them some revelation or a group of people and give them some kind of revelation. And they bring that revelation to the church. Well, that's just how God operates sometimes. It's how it goes. But, but you don't excuse yourself from that. In other words, you may be someone... That God is giving revelation to. You may be somebody that God wants to bring that revelation to the church. That might be you. And so we need to be open to that. We need to be ready to receive. Say, God, it's like, well, I've never heard this before. Good. Who, you know, whatever. It's kind of good sometimes never heard something before. Just to hear it and, and to... Begin to process that and let God bring his revelation into your life. Okay, John 14, 26. Okay, so what's he going to teach them? All things. And then remind them what Jesus said. Now remember the Gospel of John, this Gospel that came out of, 
mean, John was saying if they record everything that Jesus was doing and saying, it would fill up volumes and volumes and volumes, whole libraries of books. So he's saying that the Holy Spirit is going to do a job. He's going to teach you things. He's going to remind you of things and going to show you things and teach you everything. Everything what? Everything you need to know. And that's kind of the point behind all of this. And that was what's said in 1 John is that the Holy Spirit was going to teach you everything you need to know. And so we we got to be a, a people who have some kind of expectation. Something. Put ourselves in a position to learn. Put ourselves in a position to be taught. Now, I, I, don't, I don't consider myself much, a, much, much of a mystic. But I do have some mystic tendencies. And in this sense, it's something I believe that we need to put ourselves in a position to receive. And there are certain things that God shows us and certain things and experiences that we have that we just need to go with. And let God do what he wants to do. Let God reveal what he wants to reveal. I'm not going to sit around telling God how he's going to teach me something. I'm not going to sit around telling God how he's going to show me something. I'm not going to sit around telling God how he's going to reveal something to me. He's going to do what he wants to do. I just want to hear it. I want to see it. I want to receive of it. I don't care if I'm dreaming. I don't care if I've got a vision going on. I don't care if I'm reading a book. I don't care if I'm watching television. It doesn't matter to me how he's going to do it. I just want to be open to it. And if you have such a stringent view of how God is going to speak to you, that you are missing his word in your life, you're in a sad spot. Because God may be speaking to you for a long time about things that you're praying about. Well, I wish God would just speak to me. Well, maybe he is. But you put him in such a box that you can't receive that. Or you put him in such a spot that you can't just say, okay, well, that, that's his word then. Well, God's never spoken to me that way. Good. I've never heard of God speaking to anybody that way. Good. I mean, we had a, a student, one of our early student leaders at Syracuse University, that, would, that God would speak to her through small animals and even rodents sometimes. Who am I to say? I don't know. Just because the squirrel, Skippy the squirrel, has something to say to her, and that's how God's going to speak to her, what am I going to tell her? No. Skippy the squirrel, don't talk to me. He doesn't. Talks to her. This person, unknown, unnamed person. But there were weird people around, but we were a bunch of weird people. But that's the people God uses. They just are. They're people God uses. They're weird. They're screw-ups. They say the wrong thing at the wrong time. They do the wrong thing at the wrong time. They make mistakes all the time. Yeah. God tends to use people like that. Because they're the ones listening. They're the ones in a position to hear and to just do something without worrying about what everybody else thinks. Like, all right, I'll do that. Or even not even question it that far. Yep. Whatever. A few more verses here. Two more verses. Romans 8, 9. Romans 8, 9. And then 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. one twenty two. 
Romans 8, 9. We're what? Of the realm of the what? And not of the what? Flesh. Then why does the flesh dominate the way we see God? Why do we make him conform to the ways of our flesh? Why do we expect him to conform to the ways of our flesh? Why is it that we expect we have to relate to him in the ways of the flesh? We're not even of the realm of the flesh. And yet we make him or we expect him or we try to make him relate to us and relate to other people in that realm, which we're not even part of. Well, they'll never understand that. No kidding. No kidding they're not going to understand that. Who? Whoever's not of the realm of the Spirit. It's difficult to understand things of the Spirit if you're not of the realm of the Spirit. Why do we have an expectation they should understand it? Bad expectation. God calls us into a place. He calls us into a moment with him. But it's not of the flesh. It's of the spirit. And here we are. How's he going to speak? I don't know. Of the spirit. That, that's his prerogative. And he's made provision for us to live outside of the flesh and in the realm of the spirit. So we can understand him. We can relate to him. We can even have fellowship with him. Oh, wow, that Jesus, he seemed very spiritual. Well, he was. But that's what he calls us to, and that's what he's made provision for us with. 2 Corinthians one twenty two. Alright. So we've been marked. We've been sealed. That's what that means, that... It was the idea behind that was when a king was going to send a letter, he would pour some wax on it and put a seal on it, and that proved he wrote it, he sealed it, he approved it, and it's no no one else's words. And so this idea of the Holy Spirit that you see in verse twenty two there, that's our seal, even marked. And so God's filled us, and he's given us, and he's anointed us, and, and we have his anointing. And it's that anointing, his anointing in us, that, that marks us as authentic. That's God's word through us. That's God's word in us, authentic. And he marks us that way. So things that he said to us, they're authentic. Things he wants to say through us, they're authentic. And so he speaks through us, he speaks to us. And they're all authentic communications of what, what God has to say and what God wants to say through us. Powerful. Powerful stuff. That's accomplished through his anointing. That's accomplished through the impartation of the same spirit. And so the spirit speaks truth. That was the next thing I had to say about that verse is that the spirit speaks truth. And, and that's good, right? That means you can count on what he says. We used to value that as a culture, uh, that if you, you wanted to trust or entrust stuff to people who spoke the truth. 
And I think some of us still value that a little bit. Like I have a hard time if I go to buy something, like I go to buy a car or I go to buy a TV, and the guy I'm going to buy the car or the TV from lies to me. I don't want to buy anything from that person. I just don't. When we were asking guys to come in, financial advisors, to come to the church, and they were setting up retirement account, a retirement account for me, this was years and years ago, uh, we interviewed a few of the guys, a few of the financial advisors, just to see who they were and to see, well, who are we going to entrust all this money to? I'd just gone through a situation where uh, a guy that I had been using as a financial advisor just lost two-thirds of my money and had to start over again. And, and I made a decision. It's like, well, the next person I'm going to hand my stuff to, I better trust them. And so we, we interviewed a few of these guys, and the, one of the guys that we interviewed, I was just asking each of them just questions about nonprofits because we're a nonprofit, and there's specific law for nonprofit organizations, especially when it comes to investing money and putting money into retirement accounts, things like that, what kind of accounts could be used. It's very kind of technical, and they're, they're, in my opinion, unless a person had worked with nonprofits in the past, they would have no idea how to answer that question. And that's why I was asking it. And so we asked a couple of guys, they just made stuff up. Just made it up. They just said, well, this, this, and this, or they changed the direction of the question, blah, 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 or this, or this, and that. And one guy, only one guy, he said, he's like, yeah, I have no idea. That's really a lot more specific than I really know anything about with nonprofits. I have no idea. I said, I'll look it up and I can get back to you. We hired that guy. Yeah. That was the guy. Of all the guys that were just slinging crap at us, that was the guy. I don't know. Because you know what? It was too complicated for him to know. It was too specific, too specific, and it was something that he could easily look up and get back to us on. So that's what he told us. And that's the guy. So I, I want to encourage us that it makes a difference that God tells us the truth. We can count on him. And so when he says, I've got your back in this situation, you can believe him. And you should believe him. I'm with you through this. You should believe that. You're doing yourself a favor by believing him. You're helping yourself by believing him. You're not helping him. You know, it's, don't think about it. It's like, okay, God, I'll do you a favor and I'll trust you on this one. You're not doing him a favor. You're doing yourself a favor by trusting him. And, and you should. Because everything he says is true. Everything he says is true. Somebody look at uh, Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 13. John 16, 13. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Thanks. So the Spirit of truth will guide you into how much truth? All the truth. All the truth. Okay. So we have... So we have this example, we have this other 
portion of scripture talking about this spirit of truth and he's going to guide us into all truth now how do we know that well i'm going to tell you something i'm going to tell you something and and you can believe me or don't but i'm, I'm going to tell you something and i'm going to give you a verse and here's here it is god always tells the truth because he can't lie because everything he says is truth by definition so what does that mean that means anything he says is true. But what if you don't think it's true? doesn't matter. What if every person on the face of the earth would look at what he just said and say, well, that is obviously a lie. doesn't matter. It's still the truth. What if the laws of the universe indicate that what he just said is impossible and can't possibly be the truth? It's still the truth because he can't lie. Everything he says is true. Now, I know this is a philosophical point, but it's important. And the reason it's important is because you can trust whatever he says, even if it seems impossible. Even if it seems like there's no way it could possibly happen, it's still true because he says it. So I look at Titus 1, 2. You can open up a can of whoop-ass over here. Yeah! Mm. Did he say that? What did he say? Oh, oh, yes, yes. <laughs> That's true. I thought maybe you had a scripture for that. Oh, okay. Okay, Titus 1 2. Okay, that says he never lies, which is true also. But some of your Bibles would say, who cannot lie. Does anybody's Bible say that? Yeah, does, not lie. does not lie. Everybody's afraid of cannot. <laughs> Everybody's afraid of it. So it isn't some Bibles. They, they do translate it for what it says. So he can't lie. Well, he can't lie because he's God. And whatever he says is true. Now, so you can go back in the Old Testament. And, and people ask me, like, this, this would be one of those questions I get. When I'd have open forums and people would try to trip me up, it's like, oh, I'm going to get you this time because I'm going to get you with God lying. And then there'd be a thing where, you know, there'd, there'd be some circumstance where God would be around and, and uh, he'd say, okay, I'm going to kill you guys. Uh, that's it. I've had, finally had my final straw. But then a couple days later, he repents and he doesn't kill him. And so their whole thing is, well, did he lie? No. Why? What did you find? ASV. The ASV. The and American Standard Version. Yep. What does it say? In hopes of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised me before times eternal. There you go. All right. It could be the Australian Standard Version, but I don't think so. <laughs> he said never. Never, ever. Never. Yeah, so so anyway, so you go you go through verses like that and say, Well, well, what's he doing? What's he saying? Well, is that a lie? Well, no. Well, but if he said one thing when he knew he was going to change his mind or he knew something else was going to happen because he knows everything, well, how come that's not a lie? Because it's not. How do you know that? Because he can't. Everything he says is true. So why does that look like a lie? Maybe you got a bad definition of a lie. Just saying. I came to that conclusion a lot of years ago. I had a bad definition. And I don't worry about it. 
okay? Because he doesn't need to meet my definition. He does not, not need to conform to my morality one bit or what somebody taught me a long time ago. Well, that's what this is. Well, maybe it's not. Because if I see him saying it or doing it, I know it isn't. It's just not. So I'll change my mind. So what is it, why is this important in these verses? Well, it's important in these verses because there was a fear that the church had that, that John was speaking to here in this letter. That as he circulated this letter, there was fear, that, and the church feared that they were going to be deceived by the Antichrist. That was their fear. That there would be this person that would come along, that would be empowered by Satan, and that they would have the power to deceive them, and they were afraid they were going to be deceived. And so what the writer here, John, was trying to tell them and what he was trying to calm in them were those fears. That you serve a God of truth. You serve a God that can't lie. You serve a God that you can trust every single thing that he says. And, and regardless of circumstance, regardless of how important it or, or how little or how big or how small or how impossible it seems, doesn't matter any of those things. If he says it, you can count on it. You can count on him. And so what they were saying was, you can just calm that down. I've prayed over people before to receive the Holy Spirit. And they said, well, what if I get something else? What if it's of the devil? Like, yeah, no, it's not how it works. And I'll quote the verses. I'm like, if you ask your father for a bread, he's not going to give you a stone. If you ask him for an egg, he's not going to give you a scorpion. If you ask him for a fish, he's not going to give you a snake. In the same way, if you ask him for the Holy Spirit, you're going to get the Holy Spirit. I mean, Jesus handled this, okay? He handled that fear already. In fact, he handled a lot of our fears. And we don't need to fear that. If we're asking God for something, we're really seeking after God for something, we're, we're looking for God to do something in our life, he's truth. Calm down. He's got good stuff for you. And he wants to pour it out into your life. It's what he has. And so the last portion of this that I want to cover is he talks about us being joined to Christ. And, and the, the idea of that isn't, again, like the one above this, where it was talking about how it's not just a one-time event. In other words, the Holy Spirit continues to live in us. There's an abiding taking place. No, well, that's the idea here is the abiding and that, that word abiding is, is kind of a neat word in the Bible. Jesus uses that in relation to us, in relation to us to really joining with him, and in relation to us being in relationship with him, is that, that he wants us to abide. Now, I know Tim is thinking of something very specific right here about the dude. Because the dude, the dude abides, right. And I, I understand you're thinking that. But the, the, the word and the idea behind this is that there's, there's a together here. There's a joining that's taking place between us and Jesus, the anointed one. And that, that's what I believe that the, the Holy Spirit really, if you boil it right down, 
to his main work in our life. We can talk about a lot of different things that the Holy Spirit does, and the Holy Spirit being a comforter and an advocate and the Holy Spirit empowering and the Holy Spirit doing all these things. But when it comes right down to the work of the Holy Spirit, he joins us, he instructs us, and he makes a way for us to be joined to Christ. And I don't know there's any higher calling than that. Because through that joining, there's power. Through that joining, there's peace. Through that joining, there is life. Through that joining, there's anointing. Through that joining, there's all of those things. But the Holy Spirit helps us to remain joined with Him. To stay joined. And to abide. Him with us and us with Him. John 15, 4. Somebody look at that. All right, some Bibles read, instead of remain, they say abide. And the idea is that how close, you have the grapevine and you have the branches, right? And the fruit is being born off the grapevine, off the branches. And so how close is the branch to the vine? What's that? It's connected. It's, it's totally connected. In other words... The, the water, the nutrients, all the stuff that's flowing through that vine is flowing out into that branch, and it's forming fruit. It's reproducing after itself. And so however strong and however awesome the vine is, the branches are joined with that. The branches abide in that vine. In other words, they receive life. They receive nutrients. They receive the, the, whatever the materials are to create new life and, to, and to, to create one after itself. Because, I mean, you know why fruit, you know why trees bear fruit, right, or vines bear fruit? It's because they're reproducing. It's what they do. And they're able to, to find themselves and not only reproduce right where they fall, but if they happen to taste good, guess what happens to them? Animals eat them. And then animals leave that particular area and they may go a little further on. And then after a little while, they poo-poo. Uh, they eat. But I don't know if you ever noticed, seeds don't digest very well. Right? And so they poo-poo the seeds out and those seeds fall to the ground and they're fertilized by the poo-poo and they're ready to roll. And then guess what you get maybe there? Maybe not there, but the next one or the next one. You get a grape plant, another grapevine. All right? Or an apple tree. Or whatever it is. That, that you're, you know, that's, how these, that's how fruit trees perpetuate. Is that something eats them, and then they go off, and they poo-poo, and, and then another one grows. Or it may just fall to the ground, and it may grow right where it is. You kind of see what I'm saying? But that's kind of that's how things work. And so you've got the grapevine. You've got the branch. We're the branches. And so Jesus makes a statement. He says, you've got to abide in me, and I abide in you. Why? Because if you don't, you're not going to live. And if you don't, you're not going to produce more fruit. And if you're not, you're not going to perpetuate the vine. You can't. 
You don't have the raw materials to do it. But he does, and he'll flow right through you. Life is in him. Life is in you. Materials to perpetuate that vine are in him. Now they're in you as you abide in him. All of that is key to our life being productive. All of that is key to us being effective for what God's called us to do. All that is key for us to be useful in the kingdom is that we're abiding in him and he's abiding in us and we're attached to him and he's pouring life through us and there's nutrients and there's all this good stuff that's flowing through us and then we're producing fruit. And what does the fruit do? Then it also produces. And it perpetuates this of what's going on. That's how it works. We have to be connected. You have to be connected. I have to be connected to the anointed one. And we have to remain, remain joined to be fruitful. 1 Corinthians 6, 17, somebody. 1 Corinthians 6, 17. All right, so he who is joined to the Lord, he who abides in the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Do you ever think about that? I mean, seriously, ever think about being one spirit with Jesus? Really? Because it's the same spirit. He was anointed, we're anointed. He did all those things. He says we do all those things. How? Because he did all those things. So then we do all those things. Where's the fruit come from? It comes from the vine. It's the life in the vine. Well, we're joined to the vine. So life flows through us. Fruit comes. Whose fruit? Well, ultimately, that comes from the vine flowing through us. What's our job? Keep connected. What's our job? Remain in him, and he remains in us. That's our job part of the work of the Holy Spirit in us is to help us with that that connection and to stay connected with him a couple more verses Hebrews 8 10 Hebrews 8 10 Okay, and that's a and that's a repeat from an, an Old Testament verse. Okay, they're just they're just taking an Old Testament verse and they're, they're repeating it in Hebrews. But what I want you to hear from that verse is like, well, where's all this happening? It's in me and you. You see, religion wants us to have these outer forms for whatever reason, but all this is taking place in us. Where's the abiding taking place in us? I abide in him, he abides in me. Where, where is that? In me. Where are the laws being written? In me. Where is God living? In me. Where is their life? In me. In him. Where is he? In me. Holy Spirit. We share the same spirit. Where is that? In me. 
And so what, I, what I'm trying to get at is that uh, all the outer forms are distractions in a lot of ways. Because they distract us from what really matters. Because what really matters? Well, it's in you. It's in me. That's what really matters. What do I mean by outer forms? I mean anything like that. Worship is an outer form. Worship can be distracting from what God's really doing in me and in you. Because the center of what we're doing during worship is recognizing that abiding. Is recognizing him for who he is. Of ascribing worth to him. And, and who's that worth? And what is that worth all about? Well, we're joined to him. I have life. Why? Because of him. I have peace. Why? Because of him. I have joy. Why? Because of him. There's fruit in my life. Why? Because of him. I prayed with some people this week. Why? Because of him. How is there life in those people? Because of him. I'm joined to him and a recognition of that joining and a recognition of that abiding in him with us. We can't get distracted from that. A lot of times that's what the outer forms do. They were meant to draw us closer and they end up distracting us away. They had every good intention of being awesome and they turned out not to be. And that's tough. That's tough. So see, when you get used to certain things, you get used to certain forms. If you grew up in a very liturgical church, you're used to that, and you don't hear that. It's like, wow, it doesn't really seem like I'm in church. Right? Get it. And yet you didn't grow up in a liturgical church, and you hear that, and you go to a liturgical church for the first time, you're wondering, what the heck are these people doing? And why? And it makes no sense. And so on either one of those extremes, you've got two people like, I don't know anything that's going on. The other person's like, well, if it doesn't do this, it's not church. Well, neither one of those are right. There's no right or wrong to it. It's just that what's getting in the way and what's not. I don't know. We have to come to that place where the Holy Spirit is not only instructing us in this, but also helping us to remain engaged, to remain abiding. Or we're not going to be effective. Last verse, 1 Thessalonians, Thessalonians 5.21. 1 Thessalonians 5.21. Yes. Who's good? All the time. All right, right. So God's good. And what the word to the Thessalonians is, and really the word to us is, and it's going to continue to be the word to us, is that our connection to him is good. What he says is good. What he has for us is good. What he wants for us is good. And it's always good. Yeah, whatever we think of and whatever we come up with on our own, not as good. No matter how good we think it is, not as good. Well, I'd rather be doing this, not as good. No. And so the importance of us abiding in him and him in us, the importance of that is, is really a quality of life and an effectiveness of our life issue.
You want to be effective for the kingdom, you got to abide in him. You want to be effective for what he's called you to do, you have to abide in him. I mean, you get your life from that. That's where the life comes through the branch. That's where the fruit comes off of you. You've got to abide in him. There's no way around it. There's no better idea, and there's nowhere else to go. That's it. And so the real work of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit's living in us, the Holy Spirit's teaching in us, the Holy Spirit's continually speaking truth to us, but all of that's leading us into this place of abiding with Jesus. We get, we get truth, we get anointing, we get revelation, we get understanding, we get power. We get all those things through that abiding relationship with him. And I want to encourage you tonight that if all this sounds obvious, good, well, what are you doing about it? Because I'm not seeing a lot of miracle workers around here, right? A few maybe, but not a lot. And so what I'm, what I'm looking for and what I'm really encouraging you toward is, yeah, okay, I, got, I get it. Why do you keep saying it over and over again? Well, then get it. Get it. Get connected. Get the abiding juices flowing. And get some fruit rolling. All right? And just get it done. That's all. That's all. And, and, and I'm not asking you to... To, to go to seminary. I'm not asking you to go to Bible school. All I'm asking you to do is connect to Jesus. That's what I'm asking you to do. Let the Holy Spirit work in you and get you all connected up to Jesus, all abiding in and abiding with, and, and let that life flow through you. Just let it happen. That's what I'm encouraging you toward. And so as obvious as what I'm talking about is, let's get it done then. Let's just get it done. And, and let's, let's have a greater expectation about God, what God wants to say through us and what God wants to do through us. How's God want to use you? Let that, let that bar rise a little bit. How's God want to speak through you this week? Let the bar rise a little bit on that. Who am I to, to be sharing life with people? Uh, you're the branch. He's the vine. It flows through you naturally. Get connected up. The worst thing you can do is disconnect or hinder that flow. That's it. Just let it rip. Better off. Relax. Get connected, relax, and see what happens. There's a lot of powerful stuff out there. The guy wants to do. And just remember, always keep in mind, man, that those disciples, they weren't that smart. There's no indication they were you know, particularly gifted or anything. But God flowed through them when they let him. After that day of Pentecost, man, they went. They let it rip. That was it. Not only did they let it rip, the deacons let it rip. Those are guys that they prayed for, called and prayed for, and they let it rip. Yeah, there's a life. There's a life that God wants to, to flow through you me let's take a few moments and i'm going to encourage you to just respond to that let's just respond and and really where we're at right now where we're at tonight just say okay jesus uh, i yeah i need to get connected maybe somehow you got disconnected you got distracted you got let a, let away you were not 
really mindful of what was going on in your spiritual life. You got more concerned about the things of the flesh than the things of the spirit. You got concerned about, well, what God, what's God going to do for me in situation A, B, and C? All worried about whatever it was and really losing a real solid connection to him. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you tonight to lead us into truth. I pray that you lead us into the truth about who we are and about who you are. Lead us into the truth about where we may have slipped off the path or the truth about where we may have become distracted or the truth about where we may have just went down the wrong way. And the truth is that you, you have life for us. You have an abiding life with Jesus for us. And so I thank you that you want to give us an anointing continuously. And I thank you, God, that you have an abiding for us with Jesus and the anointed one that is continuous. If we would only pay a little bit of attention to it. So Holy Spirit, I pray, I thank you for teaching us tonight. And I thank you, God, for, for really putting us together with Jesus. I pray for that connection <coughs> to not only be established, but I pray for that connection to, to really be strengthened as a continual connection to his life flowing through us. Yeah, we already thank you for the fruit that comes of that, because we know it does. It blooms appear and fruit appears in season. Thanks for that. That's just a natural thing, the natural part of being connected. And so, so God, tonight, we, we don't concentrate on that necessarily, but we concentrate on the connection. And I pray for a good, solid, strong connection in each of our lives. Holy Spirit, would you have your way? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just receive of that where you're sitting tonight. Just receive of that, that work of the Holy Spirit connecting us. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, welcome. Jesus, welcome into our lives. Welcome, anointed one. Welcome. Thank you, Jesus. Sorry we've neglected our connection with you. Yeah, would you forgive us, cleanse us? We want to get it right tonight. Thank you, Lord. Set it right, God. Jesus. Jesus. If you want to pray anything, go ahead. You don't have to. But if you do, you can go ahead and pray. We'll agree with you. Just take a moment here. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks, Lord. Thanks, God.
ago. Yeah, I always believe you for that connection here and now. In Jesus' name. Thanks, God. Yeah, I pray a mindfulness over us, a mindfulness of what it is to be connected to you, and 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 really a attending to that connection. That even as your Holy Spirit would prompt us, your Holy Spirit would remind us, God. I pray attending to the connection we have with you, the abiding we have with you, in Jesus' name. Thanks, Jesus. Thanks, Lord. You gotta pray, even if we don't fully understand how it happens that we'd still be able to abide in it. Yeah, thanks Lord. Thanks Lord. So Jesus, I just ask we be closer to you and uh, abide in you and you in us. And we look forward to the fruit, the good fruit of what that is in us and what that is through us. Look forward to the fruit as individuals and we look forward to the fruit as kinships and we look forward to the fruit as a church. I give you thanks tonight. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for caring for us. Thanks, God, for pouring into us and through us. We recognize that you love us and you speak the truth to us. We'll give you thanks and praise. As he sings in Jesus' name, I screw by saying amen. 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 God bless you. Good to see everybody tonight, and we'll see you again.